to see everybody. Thank you, gentlemen, for a wonderful time of worship. Thank you, production team at the back. Everybody makes a noise for the production team. Woo! Serving us all year. We love you very, very much. It is my absolute honor to be sharing today. Let me get this centered. Um, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that we get the opportunity to do this. We get to do this. We get to do it. This is our privilege and our honor. And uh, I just thank you that we have the time at the close of this year to stop, to reflect, to dig into your word, and to define for ourselves how this year ends. May these words that I share, may they be simple and may they be infused with your presence. And may we receive something new that you have for us, like a warm meal out of the oven. In Jesus' name, amen. Beautiful. All right, guys, this is, a, this is a privilege because I actually had the opportunity of sharing the first sermon right at the beginning of 2020, January. Anybody remember January that month? That was a while ago. At the right at the beginning of this year, I shared a sermon that kicked off our series out of 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, in light of these things, what kind of people ought we to be? Now, I'm not going to go to that sermon because you can go back and listen to it. But it was a, it was a kind of a biblical exegesis of where, where that verse really finds its context and why Peter was asking that question. And here we are at the end of December, and it feels like that question, that verse that we started the year with, is more appropriate now than it was in January in light of these things. Well, in January, we were all kind of individually working out what that meant for us. We were looking at the scriptures and seeing what Peter meant by it. But here we are at the end of 2020. And I think we all collectively can answer that question together. In light of all these things, in light of this year, in light of these last 12 months, what kind of people ought we to be? And my message this morning is simple. I'm digging into a scripture in Mark 10 that many of you know. If you want to open your Bibles to Mark 10, I'm going to be staying around there, but it's a simple message because it's a message that is just drawing our attention to the fact that although it's the end of December, the 27th, this year still isn't over. This year isn't done yet. And for those of you wishing that 2020 had been finished three months ago, you'd be like, Josh, that isn't good news, but it is good news. This year hasn't finished yet. Now, if I can lean into the way of the mystics, I'll go as far as to say, nothing actually exists apart from right now, in this moment. Not what happened, not what could happen, but what is happening right now. As I'm speaking, in this moment, as you're sat at home, in this moment, this is all we have. This is the substance, the material that we have to use, to shape, to mold us right now, this moment. And although it's closing, the curtain hasn't fully drawn yet. The psalmist writes in Psalm 65, it's a stunning scripture. He says, you crown the year with good things. He's talking about bountiful harvests, the rivers running. And maybe this year is one of those years where it's incredibly hard to believe that that could be true. That God could crown the year with goodness. That we could end this year with a deep satisfaction in our souls. But I'm here to tell you that it is true. And that promise rings out now more than ever. And that these last few days might be more important than the last 12 months. That with a God who is always present, who is never distracted, who is never ever anywhere but the present moment, 
as Lorna said, God with us, we have the opportunity for whatever time we have left to be redefined and reshaped by him through us. Now that sounds like good news. That sounds like something kind of exciting and promising to me. And there's a man in the scriptures that I feel understood that better than anyone and continually challenges me and evokes a desire in me to live more presently and without shame and more desperately towards Jesus than I have been previously. So in Mark 10, we hear the story of Jesus. And hey, this is, this is getting close. If you read this story throughout the Gospels, it's in Luke 18 as well. This is getting close towards the end of Jesus' ministry. This is getting close towards the end of everything he's been doing. And he's getting closer to the cross. And this story happens right in the midst of it all as he's making his way. And it says this. So I'm going to read from, let's go verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. It says this. As they came to Jericho... And as he was, le- they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, there was a great crowd. Bartimus, a blind beggar, the son of Timus. Bartimus basically just means the son of Timus. So <laughs> that's his name. Bartimus, a blind beggar, the son of Timus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The message that I've got today, I'm going to title it, it's not over yet. And I need to hear that phrase. I've been preparing for this message and saying that phrase to myself to my beautiful wife. It's not over yet. And there's some of you listening that just need to hear that. I need to break that into your thinking. It's not over yet. I don't know exactly what you're going through in this moment, and I don't know how you review this year. Perhaps it's with the the very real sense of loss and the very real sense of disappointment, the very real sense of confusion. Like every single plan that you had this year got scuppered. You've lost money. You've lost people. It's been a very traumatic year. I just need you to hear this phrase. It's not over yet. This year isn't over yet. I think from the beginning of the year, we've kind of fallen into this pattern of just talking about 2020 as a write-off, as a year that we just want to be over and a year that we want to get away from. But the psalmist says the Lord crowns the year with good things. He's not finished with this year yet. It's not over yet. And if we as followers of Jesus can't live right here and right now, we really can't meet the God we follow because he's never anywhere else than right here and right now. And it's so easy in our worry to live in the future full of anxiety. And it's so easy in our regret to live in the past. But where God is calling us to meet him is right here, right now, in this present moment. So looking at this scripture, Jesus is walking out of Jericho, he's going to Jerusalem. The crowd is beginning to get around him. In the Luke um, version of this scripture, I mean, we're moments away from people laying down their coats to welcome him into Jerusalem. The crowd is gathering. People know, are beginning to know who this man is. And in the midst of it all, we hear about this man, this blind man, 
who in, the, in, the, in all the ruckus of what's going on, ask someone, what's happening? He's blind, he doesn't know. And someone says, it's Jesus of Nazareth who's here. So when he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth, he cries out this, Jesus, son of David, do not pass me by. Jesus, son of David, do not pass me by. He was told it was Jesus of Nazareth, but he called him Jesus, son of David. And there's something about this man we have so much to learn from. This blind man who couldn't see with earthly eyes seemed to be the only one in the crowd who could truly recognize who Jesus was. And he understood that who Jesus was meant that there was an opportunity for his whole life to change. And he wasn't going to miss the moment. And so he didn't address him by Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't dumb down who Jesus was by the context of where he grew up or where he was from. He defined Jesus in the terms of the prophets as Jesus had been destined to be called. His messianic, messianic name. He was calling him by the essence of who he was and what he came to do. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, son of David. The blind man sitting on the road in the dust. I am not going to define you in a dumbed down manner. I am going to define you by who you have always been and who I've, who I've always been waiting to meet. That's courage, my friends. Jesus, son of David, don't pass me by. Desperation in his voice. And what happens next? Those that are around him, tell him to shut up. They rebuke him. They say, be silent. And both gospel stories say the same thing happens next. They say, blind man Bartimaeus hears that. And he cries out all the more. Because he knows, despite being blind, despite being rebuked and mocked, it isn't over yet. So he cries out once again. And look, when we read the scriptures, it's like, and he cried out once more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Nah, it's more like this. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How loud have you got to shout for a whole crowd to be silenced so that your voice can pierce through and Jesus hear you. Jesus stops and he says, call him. In the gospel of Luke, it says, Bring him to me. And the disciples go up to him and they say, take heart. I love this. They say, they were just rebuking him, but they say, take heart. He is calling you someone. And if there's no one on this stage or no one sat at home, it's, it's definitely me. Someone needs to hear that word of encouragement. Take heart. He is calling you. Feels like you've been crying out to Jesus so much, so often, all year, and you feel like you've heard nothing you feel like you've been in a dark night of the soul. You feel like it's over. You feel like there can't be light at the end of the tunnel. And there's a word for you today that says, take heart. He is calling you. What happens next? It says the, the blind man sprang up. I haven't read that word anywhere else in the, in the scriptures. Sprang. You know what it means to sprang up? You're not doing this slowly. You're not doing it reserved. You're not doing it with patience. You're doing it with urgency. If I wasn't feeling so stiff, 
I would show you. But I'm not getting down there because I don't know if I'm getting back up. It says he sprang up, right? He's eager. And what does he do next? He throws off his cloak. Let me give you some context to this. It was common in the first century for a blind man or woman to wear a cloak because they would mark the cloak with white paint so that when they were walking through the crowd and they couldn't see anyone, people would see them, recognize they were blind and perhaps give them space and not knock into them, right? Why does a blind man throw off his cloak? It's when he knows he doesn't need it anymore. It's when he knows where he's going that won't be required. I would go as so far as to say that was the moment his faith made him well. I don't need this where I'm going. Where are you going? I'm going into the presence of Jesus. And so he steps up to Jesus. And then Jesus asks him what I think is the best question in the whole Bible. This, this whole story is titled, Jesus Heals Blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus, when confronted by the blind man, says... What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> Is it not obvious? A man who was born blind, who's begging on a roadside? It isn't obvious when you're standing in front of a God who doesn't define you by your ailment. Who doesn't define you by the way the world has defined you. Who doesn't define you by the way that everyone else would say you are limited or you're suffering. This is a God who looks at you and always sees the truest version of who you are. That Thomas Merton, the, the monastic mystic, said, sometimes we feel like God doesn't hear us, and sometimes that's because we're speaking to God as a shadow. We're not speaking to God authentically. We're not speaking to God out of the deepest yearnings and desires of our heart. And he says God never speaks to shadows. <laughs> God is always interacting with the truest, purest version of who you are. He's got no, no desire to have conversation with ego, with religion. That's why he, he wastes no time in the Gospels speaking to the Pharisees. Oh, you whitewashed tombs, you know. You might wash the cup on the outside, but the inside is filthy. He says if a thief and a Pharisee and a religious leader go to the synagogue to pray, who does God hear? The one with earnest sounding, you know, pious prayers or the one that speaks from his soul with honesty. It's the thief. And Jesus knows he's dealing with a man who is true, who isn't ashamed. How can a man who's ashamed speak so loudly? And so he says, what do you want, man? What can I do for you today? And the blind man says, I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see, and you know, here we are on the, very, on the cusp of this year ending. And could it be that Jesus is looking at every single one of us? Could it be? And he's saying, what do you want? What do you want? Ed, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? That question, that, that provokes some of the deepest issues in our hearts, I think. Because desire, you know, desire has... So many connotations to it. If you grew up around religion, you grew up in a context that said desire was wrong. Wanting something for yourself is selfish. You know, there's so much around desire. Or perhaps you have had a desire that wasn't healthy and now you don't trust yourself to have a desire or a need that you can trust. 
But when Jesus asked you that question, he's saying, I, do you know what? I trust the deepest part of your heart. When I ask you what your desire is, what you really want, Bartimaeus, you know that I'm not asking the superficial, materialistic stuff. I'm asking about the longings of your soul. And for anyone feeling like, oh, I don't even know where to begin with desire or begin with dreams, I just want to say this. To dream and to have a desire isn't selfish. You know, most inspiring people, the people that I've looked up to the most, the people that I want to be like, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The people that you want to emulate in one way or another. These aren't people that have lived their lives out of duty, out of doing things just because they should, just because they got told to do it. These are people who have chosen to live their lives based upon the deepest longings of their soul. And trust me, that doesn't birth a selfish life. It births a life that is full and vibrant. It's the parisos, the abundant life that Jesus called us to bring. If you live just for yourself, it gets boring quickly. <laughs> it gets boring quickly. When you live with your desires, your deepest longings, birthed and prioritized and given space to be heard, it will evoke something in you that sees the other, sees people around you. You won't be caught up in self-obsession. And Jesus knows that blind man, Bartimaeus, what can I do for you? I want to do something for you. What can I do for you before this year ends? What do you want? And could we be so bold to reply? Because if we reply, we're making a statement about who we think God is. And Bartimaeus was already there. He already threw his cloak off. He already knew he was walking into the presence of the God who heals and restores and delivers. So when I say the desires of my heart, God rejoices. Otherwise, he wouldn't ask. <laughs> he wouldn't ask what it is that we want. When he asks you what you want, he dignifies you. He doesn't presume he knows. Jesus doesn't do what so many of us do, so much of what I've done throughout my life. When someone comes to me and I just reel off some information or I just try and inspire them or I just try and teach them. He asks them a question, what do you want? That's how humble our God is, what do you want? And he's asking that right now at the end of this year. What do you want? What can I do for you? Because that's the kind of God I'm like. Toza said, what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Blaise Pascal said, God made man in his image and then man returned the favor. We are constantly being confronted by a God who is so much better than religion ever showed us he was like. We are constantly being confronted in the gospels by Jesus, the image of the invisible God. And these last few days, I encourage you, these last few days of the year, may they look like these few minutes of the blind man's life. May they be unashamed. May they be loud. May they be expressive. That which is in you has got to go somewhere. If you don't express yourself, it's like stagnant, stale water, and it just gets sour, and it gets bitter. And that isn't, I'm not talking about performing, or I'm not talking about just telling someone something. I'm talking about our prayers and the way we speak to God. If you don't tell God what's in you, with the risk of being disappointed, it will just become bitterness. This is where the blind man showed the disciples how to really follow Jesus. I'm throwing off my cloak and I'm shouting at the top of my lungs that I need you. Have mercy upon me, son of David. 
He saw who Jesus was. And my prayer for these last few days is that we would live them like Jesus really is who he truly is. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. That he is for us. And this, this, uh, this story has this amazing kind of sort of resolution to it. In, in, in the Gospel of Luke, it happens in Luke 18. And in, in Luke 19, I mean, it's effectively the same story of the same journey into Jerusalem. And we get this point where the disciples have rebuked Bartimaeus, right? And isn't that interesting? The people closest to Jesus, the people leading, the people who were kind of in on it, had no idea. They'd lost it. And there's something in that for us, you know. Sometimes we've got to let go of the fact that people, and I'm saying this as a pastor on a stage with a mic, sometimes we have to let go that people that we thought were meant to lead us and meant to show us who God is and what he's like, were wrong. And we have to, like the blind man Bartimaeus, say, no, there's a deeper yearning in my heart. And there's a deeper, I'm deep, more deeply convinced of what he's like. And I think he wants to hear this. And so he shouts out even more. Because in Luke 19, it's the same disciples coming back with Jesus. But this time, the disciples are doing what Bartimaeus was doing. It says the disciples were so in awe of what they had seen Jesus do, probably including the healing of a blind man, that they start dancing and rejoicing and expressing themselves so loudly, so undignified, so much so without shame, that the religious leaders say the exact same thing to them that they said to the blind man. Teacher, rebuke them, tell them to be silent. And what does Jesus say? If I tell them to shut their mouths, the very rocks beneath our feet will begin praising. Because the very order of creation is set towards gratitude. It's all set towards worship. It's all set towards praise and expression and exaltation. And it is only, I just want to end with this, I think it's only a deep sense of shame and distrust that stops us from expressing ourselves. You can't spring up and be cynical. <laughs> if you're springing up, you've let go of your cynicism or your cynicism, cynicism falls off you when you get up. You can't scream at the top of your, your lungs, son of David, have mercy on me and still feel ashamed. You're letting go of that which silenced you. This year isn't over yet. And I want to ask you to do three very simple things before this year closes. Would you, in prayer, would you express yourself? Would you announce to Jesus what it is your heart desires? Whether it's healing, whether it's forgiveness, maybe it's repentance at the end of this year. Maybe it's prayer for something in the next year. Would you express yourself? And then would you approach him with confidence, would you approach him with confidence as the blind man did? Would you approach him knowing that God is revealed in Christ, that God is as kind and as generous and compassionate as Jesus reveals him to be? And finally, the closing words of Mark 10 says this, and immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Next week, John is gonna announce and, and, and share with us the vision for 2021. Feels good saying that year. 2021 is coming. He's going to share with us where we're going next year. But we have 
time to follow Jesus this year. We have time to position ourselves, to posture ourselves, to follow Jesus this year, to end this year, answering the question, what kind of people are we in light of these things, in light of 2020? We are people without shame. We are people with confidence in who God is. And we are, as a people, followers of the way. And we will follow him into the year that comes. Amen. I was wondering if, if the band, if we would close with, uh, oh, I'm not, you probably got something already to go. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. I was going to do that. Oh, I, we're on the same wavelength. Let's sing this song, this simple but beautiful song, Jesus, we love you. Let's posture, posture ourselves like the blind man, looking to Jesus with the confidence, with the security, and with the hope that he is who he says he is. Let our hearts ring out with exultation and with adoration for him. Amen.